This week on Myths and Legends, we're finishing up the story of Mowgli from the Jungle Book. We'll see the most dangerous way to get a new coat and how being a horrible, arrogant jerk to everyone and everything might come back to haunt you. The creature this week is a tiny werewolf with terrible breath. Who loves piggyback rides? This is Myths and Legends, episode 130C, An Old War. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. This week on Myths and Legends, it's our third installment of our take on Mowgli and his adventures in the jungle. Last week, Mowgli stood up to Shere Khan, the tiger that had been hunting him since he was a baby. He brought the red flower, or fire, into the jungle, thus getting himself shunned by his wolf pack and forcing him to go to the human villages for protection against the burned and shamed, though very much still alive, Shere Khan. I should also mention that I made a mistake last week. I thought the wolves elected a new leader, but they did not. So they've been leaderless ever since Mowgli destroyed their most important traditions by demanding they keep their old leader, Akela, alive in retirement. In the stillness of the night, a seasoned hunter trembled. Not much could make him shake, but a thumping from deep within the shadows made his heart race. It was him, the man-eater. In one motion, he checked the powder on his rifle and lifted it up into position. From the darkness, he watched. Another villager suggested that it was old Prindas, the old moneylender, brought back as a beast of the jungle, terrorizing them all. He could never find rest, so no one else could have it either, they said. The hunter grimaced. 100 rupees. 100 rupees if he brought back the pelt. Oh, he'd get it. Over the past two months, evidence suggested that the creature had been working his way inland, away from the jungle. Only a few scant remains of anyone had been found. Well, the hunter was going to put that to an end. Tonight. Or so he thought. As soon as he saw the eyes glowing in the wilderness, all courage left him. He lowered his rifle and ran. From the village not far off, people heard a solitary shot ring out through the night, and then a scream torn short. Back at the site of the kill, the tiger sniffed the wind. His fur had mostly grown back after the fire incident, but he knew his real prey wasn't far away. Mowgli, the man-cub, he was here. Shere Khan limped off between the trees. It was time. Three months earlier, bending low, the woman beckoned Mowgli to her hut. When she had looked at his arms and legs and peered into his eyes, all the others fell silent. That was where she did the thing where the water fell from her eyes. She had embraced him fiercely and the others backed away. When at last the woman pulled away from the boy, she shuddered, noticing for the first time all the marks lining his arms and legs. Truthfully, he had bite marks covering his entire body, and if Mowgli had been able to communicate with her, he would have told her that they were just from playing with the other wolves when he was younger. They weren't bites. She would probably shudder all the more if she saw one of those. The woman ushered Mowgli to her hut, where the red flower was blooming, forming the home. Nathu, she repeated over and over again. Mowgli guessed that it was a name. 
a name he had never heard before. She handed him a cup of milk, and he dipped his face in and drank. Next, he took the bread and tore into it. All at once, the room began to fill him with panic, an uneasiness. It was too much like a trap, even though he could tear through the thatch and be outside in under a minute. The woman continued grunting at him, and Mowgli knew that if he was going to stay among the humans, he was going to have to learn their languages. He was basically omnilingual, having learned nearly all the languages of every animal from Baloo. So he imitated her grunts as he pointed to things around the hut. And by nightfall, he had learned the names of a half a dozen things. Then, he came home. The older man, the one who lived with the woman, her mate, Mowgli guessed. He rushed in and dropped the wood on the floor. He took Mowgli's head in his hands and hugged him, rocking him back and forth. Over and over, he whispered a single word, a word that Mowgli did not yet understand. Son. Mowgli ran. He had burst through the thatch by the window at sundown and took off toward the open field. Shut up in that trap, it just felt unnatural. What if the red flower bloomed? What if someone blocked the door and attacked? He found some soft grass on the edge of the village and fell to the ground. Oh my gosh, you smell, Mowgli heard from the shadows. He didn't open his eyes. He knew Grey Brother was hiding there. He had seen Grey Brother, his, well, brother, on the edge of the village that morning. Mowgli said he had been saturated with new smells, new things today. Yeah, you smell like a man now. Gross. Mowgli rolled on his back, looking up at the stars and thinking of that familiar home, the one to which he could never truly return, and his new home that he didn't understand. Yes, thank you, that's very helpful, Mowgli replied without looking at his wolf brother. Was everything all right in the jungle? Grey Brother bobbed his head back and forth. In a sense, yes. In another, more accurate sense, no. No, it was not. Shere Khan had left their hunting grounds until his coat grew back, because, according to the porcupine, the fire spread and singed his whole body. But, he was threatening to come after Mowgli when he was better. Good, Mowgli said impassively. He truly meant it, but for the first time in his life, he was afraid of Shere Khan. Not only was the tiger desperate, but Mowgli was out of his element. The people wanted him to sleep in a box. Shere Khan would watch him go in, and then... If Shere Khan wanted to commit suicide and enter the village to get Mowgli, then Mowgli would never come out of that hut. It was good, though. Shere Khan was focused on Mowgli. Not the wolves, not Baloo or Bagheera. If Mowgli bore the full consequences of Shere Khan's rage, that would make all of this worth it. Mowgli knew what he needed to do now. If Shere Khan was on his way, then it was time for the boy to become a man. The tiger was an apex predator, there was no way Mowgli could fight him one-on-one, -on -one. but as a man, learning their ways and figuring out their weapons, maybe he could stand a chance. Shere Khan was coming. It was just a question of whether Mowgli would be ready to meet him. Are you going to forget that you're a wolf? Humans won't make you forget? Grey Brother asked. Mowgli shook his head. Never. He'd never forget. But he had been cast out of his pack. Grey Brother looked at the village. Mowgli should be careful not to be cast out of another one, not until it was finished. Grey Brother told Mowgli to watch for him in the bamboo at the edge of the grazing ground if he wanted news from the jungle. For now, he must go. He'd already lost a whole day's rest, and if he wasn't careful, he'd lose a whole night's hunt. It was time for him to head back to Council Rock 
Mowgli watched his brother lope off into the bamboo, and he sighed. Great brother was smarter than Mowgli thought. The boy looked bittersweetly toward the hunt, and sighed again. He couldn't live in two worlds. Not while Shere Khan was still alive. If he was going to be a human, he needed to be a human. And that started with living in their little death traps. Reluctantly, he rose. And he started the walk back to the village. The little boy clawed at Mowgli's hands as he tried to gasp out for air. Tried and failed. Murder. Murder, that's what it was, Mowgli said to himself, letting go of the boy's neck and watching the kid crumple to the ground before he heard a few loud, wheezing gasps for air. In the jungle, they didn't have a word for unjustified killing. There was unsportsmanlike killing and... and being able to pick a man-cub up off the ground and strangle him with one hand was probably unsportsmanlike. In the jungle, all the animals were constantly reminding Mowgli that he was the weakest. They weren't wrong, but it pushed him to be stronger and tougher. Not that it would matter if a tiger lunged at him or one of the wolves turned on him, but in this world, he was stronger than most of the other boys. Stronger than a lot of the adults, actually. Even having been here for three months. Once again, he was happy for Baloo's strict teaching. It taught him to keep his temper in check when the boys called him an animal and laughed at him as he mispronounced words. There was a strangeness to the humans too. At first they resembled the banderlog, going this way and that way with no memory or loyalty to their community. But as Mowgli dug deeper and learned the language, he found that the human community was far more subtle. For instance, when he tried to help out a local potter whose donkey was stuck in a clay pit, the town was shocked the priests scolded Mowgli for his kindness. There were something called castes in the society. Invisible lines around people he could talk to, help and touch, and those that he couldn't. The potter was apparently one of those he couldn't help. Mowgli was about to talk back, but on the priest's recommendation, Mowgli was sent to work out in the fields with the buffaloes the next day. The people he lived with, the old man and the old woman, said goodbye to him every morning as he walked out to join the workers under the great fig tree. All the other boys called the people they live with the human words for father and mother. But Mowgli didn't know what to think of Meswa and her husband. They too had lost a child to the jungle. Not an uncommon thing. Mowgli thought about the age. Their son would have been a little too young for him to remember. He'd ask around the next time he talked to his brother wolves, and see if anyone knew anything about the boy. Meswa, the woman who took him in, would smile in return hesitating briefly before thanking him. Of course, no one really believed that he could talk with the animals. He had heard stories of the tiger that limped, the ghost of the jungle that had a 100 rupee bounty on him. People thought he was some reincarnated moneylender, but Mowgli just laughed at their superstition. He wasn't anything. He was a tiger with a limp he had since birth. He was dangerous, yes, but he wasn't supernatural the chief hunter continually brushed the strange boy away until, one day, the hunter turned straight to Mowgli with a stern look. If he was so brave, why didn't he go into the jungle after the tiger? He wouldn't need to go far. Word had it that the tiger claimed another victim, the next village over. At the news, Mowgli sat up straight. What? Everyone began to chuckle. Not so brave now, huh? Anyway, 
It was time to get to work. Mowgli begged for more details, but all the men started clearing out to go to work. With some reluctance, Mowgli found his cattle. A group of boys herded the village cattle, and Mowgli rode atop the biggest bull. The buffaloes were domesticated, and thus Mowgli didn't know their language. Still, they could see the calm authority in his eyes, and they never gave the man-cub any problems. As Mowgli sat atop the buffalo that morning, the big one named Rama, watching the others graze, news of Shere Khan began eating away at him. It had been over three months since Council Rock, and Mowgli hadn't thought about the tiger once. Having warning, though, was good, and his new job kept him safe. There was a reason Shere Khan ate only sick cattle. Herds were dangerous. You could pick off a lone buffalo strained from the herd, but if you tried to take on the whole herd, you'd end up trampled, even if you were Shere Khan. Early morning, he found Grey Brother in the bamboo reeds. If Grey Brother didn't approach, it meant all was well in the jungle. No news of Shere Khan. On the morning after the hunter had been killed, Mowgli approached Grey Brother. He learned that the game was scarce in the area, and Shere Khan couldn't fast, even for revenge. He had returned to the jungle for now. Days bled into weeks, and every day Mowgli went to work, came home, ate, and slept, went to work, came home, ate, and slept. He was sure that monotony would get better when he got older. Every morning, he looked for Grey Brother, and every morning there was nothing. No news was good news. That is, until the day Grey Brother returned, covered in blood, his back bristling. Mowgli jumped down from the buffalo and rushed to his brother's aid, but he learned that it wasn't Grey Brother's blood. It was Tabiki, the jackals. He and Shere Khan were making their way across the plains, and Grey Wolf tracked them. When Shere Khan broke off to hunt a pig at the first light, Tabiki was alone. The jackal could be a formidable fighter, if you let him get worked up. But Grey Brother didn't. He broke the jackal's back and left the rest of them there for Shere Khan. Not as a warning, but as a message. Shere Khan's end was coming. Before Tabiki screamed, though, he sang. He told Grey Brother all about Shere Khan's plan. It would happen at the village gate, tonight, when Mowgli came back from work. Mowgli's pulse quickened. Work, which meant Grey Brother nodded. Shere Khan had been watching Mowgli for some time. Undetected by either of them, the tiger had become devious in his desperation. Mowgli looked out across the plain of grass swaying in the breeze, and then he realized that he had a weapon even more powerful than Shere Khan. The buffaloes, if they caught wind of a tiger, they'd charge in mass. Grey Brother shook his head. He had thought of that, and Shere Khan had too. He swam far down the river this morning to cut off his scent. Mowgli sat, thinking. Shere Khan wouldn't shirk from the fire. Not this time. He had to do something. If he waited until tonight and the tiger met him at the village, who knew how many would die before they finally put Shere Khan down? They couldn't just run Shere Khan down with the buffaloes. They had to pin him. They had to trap him. Had to... That was it. He asked Grey Brother if he could split the herd and drive both halves towards Shere Khan. Grey Brother hung his head. No, no he couldn't. Then Mowgli caught a smile. Not alone. Grey Brother howled 
and a large gray wolf leapt from the forest. A bulky, scarred animal that had loved the wolf pack for over a decade, and one who was alive thanks to Mowgli. Akela had returned. The other boys watched Mowgli riding Rama, the largest buffalo, howling and hooting as two wolves came from the bamboo and led all the buffalo downstream, doing the exact thing that all the boys were there to prevent. They were going to be so fired. Downstream, Mowgli felt the power underneath them as the buffalo gathered speed. Akela and Grey Brother were separating the bulls from the cows. They had driven the buffaloes down through a small portion of the jungle, and now they were coming up on the area where they thought Shere Khan might be. If he had truly eaten a pig that morning, he would be slow. But still, they didn't want the buffalo to warn him of the danger. They needed him in the trap. That's why Mowgli climbed down from Rama. It was just over the hill. If they were right, and Shere Khan was moving slower, then it should be fine. If not, he could be within charging distance. If that was the case, there was nothing the buffaloes nor the wolves could do for him. Still, it was a risk he had to take. Before Akela or Great Brother could stop him, Mowgli crested the hill alone. It took no time at all to spot the tiger. There, far off, walked Shere Khan. Mowgli called out to him. Shere Khan turned and started off on his limping run toward the man-cub. Slow for a tiger, but too fast for just about anything standing in front of him. He asked who was out here, all alone, so far from his humans and his guns and his buffaloes. Mowgli only smiled. It's time for you to come with me to Council Rock, Shere Khan. The tiger's smile faded. He had heard the threats that Mowgli made to the younger wolves. The next time he went to Council Rock, it would be with Shere Khan's hide. Mowgli threw his head back, and he howled. And Shere Khan slowed as he felt the rumble, the rumble of a whole herd of buffalo coming his way. The man-cub ran alongside Rama and leapt onto his back. The buffalo had the tiger scent. This would all end today. Even with his limp, Shere Khan easily outmaneuvered the buffaloes, or so he thought. He was running along the ridge when he felt the second rumble. He turned and, splashing in the stream and being herded by Akela, was the other half of the herd. He was trapped. There he was, the great Shere Khan, pinned against a ravine wall that was too tall for him to climb in a dangerous stampede. The tiger ran for as long as he could, looking up at the last second, just in time to see it. The man-cub, riding triumphantly atop the largest buffalo. It was the last image Shere Khan saw, the man-cub he had hunted for so long, howling proudly into the sky as the hooves finally took the tiger. Mowgli didn't know when it happened. It was a storm of mud and river water until he was finally able to calm down the buffalo. When he cleared all of them out of the ravine, he found it there. The mangled body of Shere Khan. Ugh, it was a dog's death, Grey Brother said, taking one look at the heap of broken bones and torn muscle covered in red and orange. Grey Brother joined Akela in keeping the buffaloes together while Mowgli brought out his knife. It was better than he deserved. Mowgli said to himself, 
he began to cut. He was about halfway finished when he heard the click of a rifle. Mowgli turned and saw the lead hunter from his village pointing a gun at him. And he dismissed the man. Back up, you're making a mess of it. The chief hunter barked at Mowgli. But Mowgli didn't back up. What? So you can take it to the capital and get your 100 rupees and give me one of them? I need the skin and I'm going to take the skin. The chief hunter sneered. That wasn't any way for a boy to talk to his betters. Mowgli was wrong though. He wouldn't get a rupee. Just a beating. Mowgli would be lucky if he could walk home. Mowgli sighed. Akela, this one annoys me. In a split second, the chief hunter lay in the mud, his rifle having clattered on the ground beyond reach, and the former leader of the wolf pack stood atop him, snapping at his throat. The man cub didn't look up as he continued to tear the skin away from the tiger's paw. I'm taking the skin. There was a war between this lame tiger and me. A very old war. And I won. Minutes later, after Mowgli had given a kill of the word, the chief hunter was sprinting back to the village, looking back every so often at the boy who killed the tiger and who could command wolves. The chief hunter ran as fast as he could away from the obvious magician. The wolves kept watch. As Mowgli finished tearing the last of Shere Khan's skin away from his body, he draped it over the back of Rama and asked the wolves for help getting the herd back to the village. As they traveled, Akela turned to Mowgli. What was he going to do, now that he could live in either world? Shere Khan was dead, and the humans had taken him back as one of their own. Mowgli shook his head. He couldn't live in the jungle, not without a pack, and the wolves had abandoned him after he brought the red flower to Council Rock. No, for better or worse, his place was among the humans. On the plain, they saw the village and the crowd. Mowgli smiled as he rode closer. They must have heard how he killed the man-eater. They were out to celebrate. Mowgli kept smiling until the first rock hit him. There were words that he didn't understand. Demon, sorcerer, wizard. He understood all he needed to, though, when he saw the chief hunter, still trembling, pointing at him and screaming about the wolves. Mowgli glared at the chief hunter as the man raised his gun and fired. For the chief hunter, he was kind of a terrible shot because one of the village's buffaloes went down right next to Mowgli. The people of the village only saw Mowgli's ability to bend bullets and screamed for the hunter to shoot again. Then, someone came out from the village. It was Meswa, the woman who lost the boy all those years ago and the one who had taken Mowgli in. Immediately, the rocks stopped. Mowgli dismounted from the buffalo and ran to her. And she embraced the boy, whispering into his ear. She loved Mowgli. She would always love him. But he needed to leave. He wasn't what they said he was. But the people of this village would never forget. The next time something strange happened, the next time her boy, her special son, did something magnificent, like avenge the death of the baby, she had lost in the jungle to a limping tiger. They would kill Mowgli. It was then Mowgli realized. The tiger that took their son, it limped too. It was him. He was Meswa's son. He wanted to hug his mother, but she shook her head and backed away. She screamed for all to hear that he was a demon and a sorcerer, 
He should leave and never come back. Mowgli was speechless, but then he saw the reason for the urgency. The chief hunter had almost finished loading his gun. A tear trickled down Meswa's eye as her utterly crushed son stood before her. She screamed again at him to go. He ran to the wolves and, under the cover of darkness, went through the herd of buffalo. They escaped into the bamboo on the edge of the field. Mowgli allowed himself one last look back at Meswa, there on her knees, weeping, while the children of the village led the buffalo inside the gate. The chief hunter watched on, eyes sweeping at the darkness of the forest and rifle at the ready. Mowgli waited as the wolves came from all around. The big pack had been shattered, their social structure dismantled, and all the wolves now lived as they pleased, in smaller packs. Families, really. But now they had all come back home. Word was that the man-cub had fulfilled his oath. He had done what Mother Wolf had promised he'd do on the day she found him. He had killed Shere Khan. And sure enough, there it was, the hide of the great tiger, Shere Khan, stretched and pinned to the ground with bamboo reeds. There was silence as all found their way to Count's Rock. Mowgli stood next to the great boulder, the one where their leader stood. And when everyone had arrived, he said, simply, Wolves, have I kept my word? One by one, the wolves howled. Then, something surprising happened. They turned to Akela. Take them back, they begged the old wolf. The very wolf they'd abandoned when Shere Khan still lived. Things, things had not been great since losing their leader. They were tired of lawlessness. They wanted to be a pack again. Akela shook his head. And Bagheera answered. This wasn't a pack council, so he could speak here. He said it wasn't for nothing that the wolves called themselves the free people. When they were fed and content, as they were under Akela, the madness would come upon them again. They fought for their freedom, and it was now theirs. They had to swallow their choice, no matter how rotten the meat. Mowgli stepped away from the rock. It was his turn to speak again. The man pack and wolf pack cast him out. He would now hunt alone in the jungle. Just then, a face emerged from the crowd, and Mother Wolf joined his side. Not alone, never alone. Like clockwork, Father Wolf, the four cubs, Bagheera, Baloo, and Akela all joined him too. Together, the unlikely pack walked off into the jungle. Through all of his struggles with the wolves, the bander log and the humans, Mowgli finally had it. He finally had a place that was his. A place to belong. So, we're at sort of an interesting point in the Mowgli stories. Most adaptations end here, with the death of Shere Khan and peace being restored to the jungle. I mean, as much peace as can be had where everything is killing everything else always. Regardless, there are more stories about Mowgli. If you love these ones, let me know. 
and we can do another two or three parter at a later date about what happens to Mowgli, the fallout among the humans over the death of Shere Khan, and the ultimate fate over our jungle friends. I'll post the versions on the website, so if you really want to know and can't possibly wait, you can read them. Before we go, I do want to acknowledge the fact that the original story of the Jungle Book has received its fair share of criticism about its pro-colonialist, pro-imperialist messages. I mean, the original story was set in India, written by a white British man in a cabin in Vermont. And if you look even somewhat closely, it is obvious. I mean, in a different work, Kipling went so far as to coin the phrase the white man's burden in one of his poems, which I'm not going to get into here. Basically, the original story is a complicated look at the jungle and a gateway to a much deeper discussion on a lot of topics, even beyond culture, community, belonging, and abandonment. Next week on the podcast, we're getting back into Greek mythology for a much-requested episode. We're getting into the origin stories of the Olympians, the 12 gods and goddesses that rule from Mount Olympus. It's an episode I've resisted doing for years because I didn't think there was a lot of story there, but there's a surprising amount of story there. So please, check it out. I'm pretty excited about it. Also, I want to mention that we have an online store, where you can get awesome t-shirts, stickers, and more, all while helping to support the show. For the shop, head on over to shop.bardic.fm. There's also a link in the show notes. And, as always, there's also a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of a pair of instant undies, a tablet you put in water that becomes underwear, you can get extra episodes, source pack ebooks, and ad-free versions of the show that don't immediately undermine the reason for their existence. Check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info on the membership. The creature this week is the Karkonsul, from Albanian mythology. The Karkonsul is a little werewolf, with, apparently, lethal breath. Though, if you really think about it, pretty much all werewolves probably have bad breath. And I think we're really splitting hairs here when it comes to whether or not the breath itself is lethal. If you're close enough to a werewolf to be smelling its breath, you're probably gonna die. Whether or not it's the breath or the teeth and claws that accompany it, it's really beside the point. They are human during the day, they aren't trying particularly hard. They just look like a walking corpse with a green skin tone, though they are wearing iron clothes. Apparently a chainmail shirt in Albania is known as the Carconsul shirt. In addition to being a part-time werewolf with some pretty deadly halitosis, the little guy can apparently cast miracles with his iron shirt and bedazzle travelers. And I'm assuming that means to amaze them and get them lost and not attach sequins to their clothes. Anyway, there are so many different versions of this creature in Eastern Europe. The Bulgarian version of the Carconsul is a little werewolf demon thing who apparently loves piggyback rides. They're active during the 12 days of Christmas, the 12 days between December 25th and January 5th, where, paradoxically, evil has more sway in the world. The Carconsul will run around town and jump on the back of unwitting strangers. For most people, it's almost completely unpleasant, though a relatively harmless night with an angry werewolf on your back. It'll yell for you to go different places, you can listen to it or not, but when the first light of day comes, it'll have to leave and go incognito as a shambling corpse. Like I said, it's pretty much harmless unless you're an adulterer. If it catches someone leaving their house to go meet up with someone else on the side, those non-consenting piggyback rides get even worse. The werewolf might be a demonic creature of the night who likes to torture people with piggyback rides, but it apparently respects the institution of marriage. It'll find an adulterer and perch above their doorway jumping on their back each night and digging their claws in, whipping them with its tail and threatening them if the person doesn't sprint all night through the forest. If the person goes out again the next night, the Carconsul will, again, be perched above their door. If your spouse is coming home sweaty and bloody after running all night in the woods, you might want to have a talk. 
If you're the one being attacked by the car console night after night, just come clean. Not only will it be better for everyone, but if the car console catches word of it, the creature won't return. I guess all it wanted was for you to just be honest. It'll smile contentedly at a job well done, and then jump on someone else's back and yell at them all night, just for fun. That's it for this week. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes, and today's episode was written by me, Jason Weiser. Our story editor was Carissa Weiser. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.